This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true. Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. I am the best in the world at what I do. Gentlemen. You are the top 1%. The elite. Best of the best. But the cream will rise to the top all year. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. Brought to you by Mo Sports in Liberty. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Clint Schweitzer and Noah Groniger. Welcome to the Elite Sports Podcast. Clint Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger. And Noah, my, what a difference a week makes. We have spent the last eight years of our lives building a sports and entertainment brand. And then sports and entertainment and life as we know it disappeared how's it going with you my friend uh well it's a little bit of a struggle uh no sports no entertainment no events no traveling we had planned for spring break had to cancel those uh we had plans to watch march madness that's not happening and so what are we left with we are left with the nfl that is giving us a little something here we got a free agency frenzy trades happening everywhere uh People signing with new teams. Tom Brady's a Buccaneer. That is just insane to say that it doesn't even feel like real life, but it, it kind of works right now because nothing feels like real life. Just everything we're going through just feels like some sort of nightmare that we're living in. But at least Tom Brady has left the Patriots and is now with the Buccaneers. So he's out of the AFC. Hail to the Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I don't know if you saw the tweet I just sent you that Tom Brady made about uh, saying he's pumped to move to Tampa. Uh, what should I know about the city? And Jameis Winston replied, oh my God, you're moving to Tampa? I live here. What brings you to the area? Do I? Are we going to have some real entertainment and hilarity going on here with this? Like, what? what is going to happen? Uh, and what's the fate of Jameis Winston in all of this? Not that I don't think many people probably care too much about the fate of Jameis Winston, but and is Tampa Bay stunting the growth of their organization by doing this? So many questions. That is a that's a lot of questions. There's a lot to unpack there, but uh, Jameis Winston, I think he kind of sees the writing on the wall, and he's a little bit upset, and I he's going to have some fun with this, and he's going to rib Tom Brady and uh, really anyone about this because. Uh, he went and he got LASIK surgery over the offseason because he was nearsighted. Maybe that'll help cut down on his 30 interceptions last season. But uh, in this game of musical chairs at quarterback in this offseason, he's looking around at the landscape and he's left without a chair. He's just standing there. Uh, the Chargers are looking at maybe Cam Newton or someone in the draft. Uh, the Colts have got Phillip Rivers and... Uh, you look at the Bengals, the Dolphins, they're going to go in the way of the draft. So Jameis Winston could be looking at holding a clipboard. And so, yeah, he's going to take a shot at the Buccaneers and Tom Brady and have a little fun with it. And, and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's obviously a little upset, but when you're looking at the Buccaneers and what this kind of means for them and going with Tom Brady, they're going to get some fanfare. They're going to get some national media attention, which is good for them. It, 
it's been since I think 2007 since they've been to the playoffs and and they just don't have a great fan base down there in Tampa and that they haven't given them a reason to they haven't put a great product on the field but you mentioned stunting their growth and I think it is a little bit they need to find a new answer a new direction at quarterback a franchise quarterback that can lead them into the future and uh, right now this just seems like a band-aid to get some fans sell some tickets get some uh, national media exposure and attention for the meantime but they got to have a plan working in place for their future and what it's going to look like well i feel like as the last uh, week or so has unfolded that the nfl basically as we knew it for so many years for decades almost is is no longer as it was i mean tom brady the fixture the man, the myth, the legend, um, arguably the greatest of all time. Um, and then you have Philip Rivers going to the Indianapolis Colts, uh, 16 years spent in San Diego slash Los Angeles. And that is turning on its head. Andrew Luck last year retiring. The only uh, you know fixture still remains is Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. And for how long, uh, we can't possibly know. But the NFL as we knew it, it has been taken hostage by youth and exuberance that exists in the AFC, which is, of course, Patrick Mahomes uh, here in Kansas City, Deshaun Watson in Houston, although they've just traded away uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, so a, a lot going on there now. Bill O'Brien has um, compared DeAndre Hopkins to Aaron Hernandez. I feel like that organization's on the verge of snapping at the helm. Um, and, 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 of course, um, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. To me, that's where the future of the uh, National Football League resides there in the AFC with the youth and uh, those players that are going to become the next big things. They already are. To me, Patrick Mahomes and what he's done, fastest player ever to reach 9,000 yards, 5-0 in 2019 um, when trailing by double digits. Kurt Warner in his career was 2-44. The old NFL reign is over, and uh, I think youth reigns supreme from here on out in the National Football League. Oh, it really does. You mentioned it there to Sean Watson, and I... They beat the Chiefs last year. I was looking for strong things moving forward with uh, Deshaun, but they lose DeAndre Hopkins for uh, an often injured running back whose last great year was in 2016, a second-round pick. They swap fourth-round picks. Uh, I also think that uh, the Cardinals threw in uh, their caterer who makes a mean ham sandwich, so uh, that's going to be nice for everyone in the building, the staff there with Houston. Um, so that really kind of sways uh, the trade value there. And I think the Texans got the best of it there with the caterer thrown in. Uh, but yeah, the Texans, they are just a lost organization. They're going out and find, trying to find some running back in 2020 when this is a passing league. Carlos Hyde was fine for them. They made the playoffs and, and they traded assets for Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde now in Lamar Miller. And uh, they let him go. And now it just, what are they doing there in Houston, Bill O'Brien was given too much power, and now is he ever going to be just taken off his throne, or is he just king there just to reign until he sees fit to ride off into the sunset uh, as he looks behind him at NRG Stadium in the flames as it's just crumbling to the ground as what he's left of it and just shambles and ashes. So maybe we can remove Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans from that youth and exuberance thing I was talking about earlier. Um, I'll tell you what, what do you do when there's no sports? Well, you know what, for us, it's all about interviewing some of our, you know, favorite athletes growing up, some of our, you know, the, the players that made um, whatever sport they play, what it is today. And of course, football is such a big part of what we do. Um, we're going to go back today and talk with just a great guy 
former Green Bay Packer. He was drafted in 1967, Super Bowl II champion Don Horn, backed up uh, Bart Starr for four years there in Green Bay, moved on to Denver, played against some of the great Chiefs teams um, in the early 70s. We're going to get into all that with him. Don Horn, a guy that's been around, he's been a staple. People know who he is because, man, he was there um, sitting in the stands at Super Bowl One, and then was a Super Bowl II champion uh, and at one point, he and Joe Namath were the only two players, I believe, to throw for 400 yards in a game. It is. It's unbelievable. And uh, he was there for Vince Lombardi's last year, so we're definitely going to get into that. And uh, everybody wants to know more about Vince Lombardi. We've heard the quotes. We've heard the speeches. But we want to learn more about just who the man was on a daily basis. So we'll ask him about that. Learning under Bart Starr. Uh, and just some of the great defensive players he played against, like you mentioned, all those Chiefs teams with Bobby Bell, Buck Buchanan, Willie Lanier, uh, Emmett Thomas, and and of course, just Dick Buckus and Ray Nitschke, who he played with. Uh, he was uh, there in Denver, got there when they drafted Lyle Alzado, and and just so many great uh, defensive players of that era. And and whether he's more afraid of Dick Buckus standing across him of the line of scrimmage or the coronavirus. Uh, he is 75 years old. That's the age bracket. They say need to be worried about this. We're going to find out if he's more worried about the coronavirus or Dick Buckus uh, taking his head off as he was known to do. And of course, we've got to talk about Patrick Mahomes from one quarterback to another, what he thinks of that skill set and what he's seeing out of what Patrick Mahomes has done early on in his career. Well, let's go ahead and go to our guest on this week's Elite Sports Podcast. It is former Green Bay Packers quarterback Don Horn. Don, welcome to the show, man. It is a true pleasure to have you on. How is everything going? Good. Clinton, right? Clinton? Uh, Clinton and Noah, yes. Both of us are on here with you today. Okay. Clinton well, and Noah, huh? Yeah, Clint and Noah. And I tell you, it's such a pleasure to have you on, Don. Uh, we figured that in these strange times we're living in that the best thing to do is to just go back and talk some football because that's, uh, that always makes you feel better about things. So hope everything's yeah. going great with you, man. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, it, you know it's, uh, as uh, one of my old teammates used to say, 50-50, uh, but it's on the plus side. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you could ask for these days. Well, you know, we're, we're only a month removed from the Super Bowl. Of course, we're here in Kansas City, Don. Uh, getting our first Super Bowl in 50 years. Um, I know you played to get some great Chiefs teams back uh, in the early 70s, but man, to see the Chiefs achieve this, uh, you know, achieve the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP. What did, what did you think of uh, this Chiefs run and and seeing Patrick Mahomes play as a former quarterback? You've got to just marvel at what Patrick Mahomes does. No, just with everybody, everybody's just amazed at the kid's talent, and uh, uh, you know, it's just you know. Such a such an offense, and uh, you know, was it was it the game against Tennessee? You know, and they were down. What was it, twenty four zip? And the, oh, the and Texans, the, you know, yeah, the Texans game, uh, yeah, yeah, the Tex or whatever, yeah, the, yeah, the Texan game, yeah, and in uh, in the, in the halftime they were, you know, they fought back and they were ahead twenty eight twenty four. Just, just it's just amazing what they can do, um, you know, when they have to do it, and they do it time and time and and, and time again. One of my old teammates used to scout years and years ago with the uh, NFL, and and uh, you know me being a quarterback, I understood what he was saying. But he says, "What Patrick has as a quarterback, he has the ability, the uncanny ability, to throw his receivers, you know, in, into the open. He, you know, whatever pass route they seem to be running, you know, he kind of moves around a little bit, you know, gets out of the pocket." And then he just he just sees the open spot, the potential open spot, in the secondary, 
and he puts the ball there and these guys just, you know, they just gravitate, you know, and they, and they just, you know, they, you know, they, they converge on the ball. It's just amazing how they could, you know, it's just the talent that, uh, you know, that, that he seems to have and, and no one else quite has that talent. Sometimes, you know, Aaron has that, but, uh, you know, Patrick is just, you know, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, defined that, that ability, I think, but yeah, I was at the, uh, I was at the first Super Bowl 50 years ago. I was sitting in the stands. <laughs> wow. I, was sit, I was sitting in the I was sitting in the stands. I grew up in LA, and uh, I always, you know, I always grew, you know, was a Ram fan. Went to the Ram games, and I'd spend 50 cents, maybe a dollar, or 75 cents to go to a Ram game. And and um, I had a young kid at that time. Uh, his name was Bobby Bethard. He used to coach me a little bit in high school. And, um, you know, Bobby called me up. He always wanted to get in the NFL. And I was a senior at San Diego State playing for Coriel. And, and um, he called me up one day a couple weeks or a week or so before the, before the Super Bowl. And he says, hey, Don, he says, uh, you know, uh, you know, he was a part-time scout, I think, or a scout at that time for the Chiefs. Because, you know, Pete, his brother, was playing behind Lenny. Yeah. And, uh, and he calls me up and he says, Hey Don, he says, I got uh, a couple of tickets to the Super Bowl next week, you know, the championship game, you know, Green Bay and Kansas City, you want them? And I said, Sure, Bobby. He <laughs> says, They're twelve dollars a piece. And I went, What? Oh my God. What? Well, I can't afford twelve I can't afford twelve dollars. And uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, I bought them and sitting in the stands and uh, actually pulling for it, believe it or not, I was kinda of pulling for Green Bay, you know, because I was a Ram fan and you know, one of the the, uh, the old days you wanted the NFL, not the AFL mm-hmm. see. And, uh, I was kind of pulling for the, uh, you know, pull for the Packers a little bit. And then two months later, I get a call from Vince Lombardi saying, Donald, welcome to the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> so, <anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. become a Super Bowl champion just a, a, a year later, Super Bowl two, yeah. uh, you're drafted by the Packers and you thought maybe the, the chiefs would be that team making the call. So what, just take us through that draft process. You were the first round pick, of course, of the Packers. So take us through the, the draft and kind of what it was like. Obviously, it's become quite a different spectacle these days, but you were a first round pick uh, yeah, uh, in uh, 1967. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I played with yeah, you know, Coriel. We had a wide open, you know, I was a, I was a throwing fool back then. And uh, you know, wide open uh, West Coast offense, I guess, you might want to, you know, call it or whatever. But um yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of the scouts would, uh, you know, were scouting me and stuff. And and uh, at that time, most of the most of the uh, the teams on the East Coast or in the Midwest, they had, you know, uh, they had what consortiums or whatever. So they had they had groups or pools of uh, of scouting uh, information and stuff that they would, uh, you know, they would gather everything. And and uh, I, had, I had probably four or five or six teams said if I was available, they were going to take me in the first round. And back then, it was totally different, as you said, Clint and, and Noah, that, uh, you know, I'm sitting in a little bitty 10 by 10 office at San Diego State. It's actually the PR director. And, you know, people would say a week or two before the draft, you know, just give us a telephone number in case we want to call you. Where are you going to be the day of the draft? So I gave them, you know, the telephone number. And we're listening to the draft on the radio. And all these teams said they're going to draft me, uh, you know, Oakland, uh, the Chargers, uh, the Lions. Uh, a couple other teams of the Giants, maybe, you know, and they were all going to say they're going to draft me if I was available and um, listening to it. And then I'm going, wait a minute, you know, they're getting towards the, actually right at the end of the first round. And I got my dauber down a little bit and I'm going, what the, you know, you know, all these teams, you know, I, I mm-hmm. guess you can't believe what they say all the time. Anyway, uh, all of a sudden the phone rings and, um, and uh, I talked to a lot of teams. Green Bay was not one of them. 
And uh, the phone rang, you know, picked it up, and they said, is this, is this Donald Horn or Don Horn? I said, uh, yes, ma'am. Was, she said, this is Carol so-and-so. Uh, you know, please hold for Coach Vince Lombardi. Oh about God. that time, I thought somebody was jerking my chain. I was going to hang up. You know, they're pulling the <laughs> joke. So, but when that voice came on, you know, Donald, you know, you just knew it. And, uh, and he, you know, he alluded to the fact. He says, um, he says Kansas City's picking right now, and you know they they you know they won the Super Bowl, so they had the last pick in the first round, the twenty fifth pick, I think. And and uh, he says, you know, Kansas City's picking right now. He says, would you have any reservations? Uh, you know, being a Green Bay Packer, you know, we're considering you making our, our, our next, you know, first round pick and stuff. And I said, no, sir. He says, I'll call you back 10, 15 minutes. And then 15 minutes later, the phone rang. And, Welcome to the Green Bay Packers. And that's how it was. It was totally. <laughs> and, um, yeah, what they did, I guess, found it afterwards. You know, he gathered all the information on me and stuff from these other various scouting uh, um, uh, um, consortiums and stuff they had back then and then decided to make a, you know, go with me. So, and the rest is history. Then, then, then he, you know, I wore number 13 in, in college, in high school. And, um, not too many people wore it back then in the sixties. And, uh, he called me in his office and he says, Donald, you know, I have a problem with your number, son. And I went, Oh my gosh. And you know, <laughs> you know so I said, coach, I said, coach, I, you know, wore that number in high school. We won a championship. You know, we, I wore it in college. We won a national championship. We were, you know, like division two national champions at San Diego state. And uh, I said, coach, everyone I've worn that number in my career, it's probably good luck. Uh, I'll think about it. I'll, yeah, I'll give it some thought, you know, <laughs> Next thing I know is hanging in the locker that day. We opened up against the Lions that year, I think. And, uh, you know, he didn't say worry about that year, and I didn't either. We won the Super Bowl. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk to us a little bit more about that rookie year. You get there. Bart Starr's 33 years old at that time. You guys go 9-4-1. and You beat the 13-1 and Raiders in Super Bowl two. Just what are your memories of that year winning it all, and what did you really learn from Bart Starr in that rookie season? Oh gosh, you know, I, you know, you know, being a young, being a young buck like that, I wish I'd have paid more attention. You know, you won't find a better man ever than than, than Bart Starr. His work ethic, uh, the way he had, he handled himself, not even on the field but off the field. Uh, uh, you just, you know, I mean, the only person I can even say, well, you know, Patrick probably be there too, but I would say, you know, Peyton Manning was uh, about the closest I've ever met anybody has spent some time with that even, uh, you know, uh, uh, approaches Bart's, uh, you know, Bart's work ethic and, and just the way he was and the way he treated people, you know, at, at all times. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that year, um, um, you know, it's a little different. I mean, um, you know, we had some, you know, we had some so-so games, you know, we had a couple of games we should have won. We lost, you know, the game we lost against the, uh, the Rams out in the Coliseum in December, right before we beat them two weeks later in Milwaukee for the playoff game. Uh, there were a couple of games we should have won that we lost. We had a couple of injuries that year, you know, the, you know, the same old excuses that everybody gives, but I know when we were preparing for the Raiders Lombardi, you know, again, too much, you know, back then the AFL and the NFL, in fact, that was the first year I think of the official merger was my rookie year, um, you know, where they actually combined everything. Yeah. But he did not want, he did not want to be the first NFL NFL team to lose to an AFL team back in that era. And he put so much pressure, uh, you know, on himself. And, um, I remember we're sitting there watching, uh, we're watching a game against the, uh, the Raiders and the uh, chargers, I think. 
and we're watching the Raider defense, and we're um, we're down in uh, in Miami or Fort Lauderdale preparing for the Super Bowl. We're watching a little bit of the game film, and, and Vince uh, alludes to the fact that he starts, you know, he starts laughing a little bit, then he gets a little loud, and he says, oh, he says, you know, kind of a paraphrase, but he says, "Doggone it! Look at that, Bart! Look at that! Look at that!" He says, "Look at that defense!" He says, that, "You know that the uh, the Raiders are doing." He says. That was in, that's obsolete. That was obsolete in the NFL 20 years ago. And this is why, you know, and he, he, he just kept reinforcing the fact that no matter what the Raiders did defensively, um, it was obsolete and there's no reason why that we couldn't execute and beat them and, you know, and score that type of thing. He just kept demanding, I mean, you know, just reinforcing that fact all the time. So just, you know, positive reinforcement that, uh, you know, there, there, there's no way you can lose because boom, boom, boom. These are the reasons why. And so, you know, you just be bought into it, you know, just, just amazing how he could motivate people. Vince had an uncanny ability to motivate people. Um, um, you know, he could motivate you as an individual. He knew when you need motivation, when you didn't need motivation, if you're overly motivated, he can knock you down a step or two. Then you turn right around and do the same thing with the team as a group. You just had that uncanny ability, just uncanny ability. And then I just remember, too, I was sitting in the stands at Super Bowl, was it four, down in Tulane. Yeah. And, uh, when you guys won your first one. Right. Uh, yeah. And that was a cold, I remember it was a cold, drizzle, you know, miserable day, you know, kind of a muddy field and, and, uh, I still enjoy, um, you know, Hank yelling, you know, matriculate the ball down the field, matriculate <laughs> the ball down. I loved, I just loved it. So, yeah, yeah. Mike Garrett, I used to work out with Mike Garrett all the time. I guess he still lives in Kansas City. Don Stenberg just told me that that he, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, he's back in Kansas City, and uh, a lot of my own. I got a lot of friends and relatives uh, that live in that area back there, and it's, uh, you know, it's a beautiful city, it's a beautiful place, but. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good people there in Kansas City, your neck of the woods. And I tell you, everybody's happy for you guys. I mean, I I had mixed emotions. I've known Kyle Shanahan since he was like seven or eight years old. And, uh, you know, I had mixed emotions about that game. But no matter who won, everybody was, I mean, you know, everybody was, you know, most everybody I saw. I was actually down in Miami. And I think there were probably two-thirds, maybe three-quarters Kansas City fans over uh, – over the uh, yeah. 49er fans that I saw down there, just amazing. That yeah, it had been, it had been so long. This this fan base was definitely ready for it. And Don, you go on to play for the for the Denver Broncos, so you got a, a good taste of of uh, that Chiefs team that you said you were in the stands for winning uh, Super Bowl four. But uh, really, oh, yeah. the, the 71 <laughs> Chiefs were um, as good and almost could have won that Super Bowl. That crazy game with the Dolphins. But man, you play. Think, talk about that defense, uh, guys like Buck Buchanan. Bobby Bell, Willie Lanier, Jim Lynch, so many Hall of Famers in there. Emmett Thomas, I just talk about yep. uh, that those Chiefs back then and kind of what your perception of of them was. So they, were the I mean, they were good, and we we used to joke about it too. We used to joke, you know, we used to say, you know, when the, when the Chiefs walk on the field, it tilts to one side. You know, I mean, they, they were so big. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but I know, yeah. I mean, you know, I played against Butkus. Some of my best games as a Packer, <clears throat> excuse me, were against the, uh, you know, the Bears in, in Wrigley Field back in those days we played. And Dick was amazing. Even on one leg, you know, he had a bad knee. But even on, on, on one leg, he was just, just a tremendous. I never thought I'd, I'd play, you know, see anybody as, you know, that even approach his ability until I met a guy named Willie Lanier. 
remember what's his number 63 i think yep you know yeah unbelievable willie was just you know he was just tough as nails and buck buchanan i mean those guys and you know bobby bell i mean i still see bobby today i remember playing a game out here and you know guys you guys beat us pretty handily and uh and um and uh you know bobby got me on i mean he got me on a clean shot he blitzed it was a clean hit, tore my knee up and stuff, and I still say this day, man, I'm, I'm limping and giving today because of you, but it's a clean hit, Bobby. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> it was a good clean hit. <laughs> but yeah, it was great, you know, great teams, great teams, no doubt about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you know, Kansas City, uh, to me, they've always, you know, had, you know, great teams back in the late 60s and early 70s. And then, and then you know, kind of Oakland stepped in there for a while, too, with John Madden. You know, John oh, yeah. was our defensive. He, he was our defensive. Uh, he was my defensive coordinator at San Diego State. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and Joe Gibbs was my roommate for a little bit. He was a graduate assistant. And then, excuse me, and then uh, and then Coriel and Madden made Joe move out because he didn't want players and coaches living together. But uh, yeah, Joe was a great coach then as a graduate assistant back in 60, 65, 66 with San Diego State. Oh, absolutely. And Don, you mentioned it there a little bit. Talk to us about some of the most feared defensive players in your day. Uh, we talked about some of those Chiefs, Ray Nitschke, who you played with, Dick Buckus, Jack Ham, Sam Huff, Mean Joe Green, Deacon Jones, and even Lyle Alzado, who got drafted in 71 when you got to Denver. Yeah, Lyle was something, you know. I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> real personality kind of. Yeah, he was <laughs> He was something, I tell you. He, you know, you never know what, he, what kind of mood he was in. Kind of like Ray, too. Your stories about Ray Nitschke before I got up there. Of course, when I got up there, Ray had kind of calmed down a little bit. He could control his emotions, but uh, he looked like a professor and, and uh, acted uh, cordially most of the time off the field, but on the field, he was just a reckless bull. Um, but, you know, I mean, all those guys you mentioned, it's just, you know, it's a great one. You know, I mean, I played, you know, Alex Karras playing against Alex Karras and, and uh, you know, you know, so many, so many, you know, great guys back then. It's just, it's just amazing. So, many, you know, the ability, it's a different game, different game today than back then. Um, you know, I, 1969, I, Bart got hurt and I played, I think I started five games, one, four, set some individual passing records at Green Bay and stuff. And, and uh, back when, uh, you know, for back when, you know, you just didn't throw the ball that much. A lot of people say the worst thing, as far as my professional career goes, because again, I was a passing fool. I was strictly a kind of a, you know, drop back pocket type of a quarterback, but uh, I think I got rid of the ball quick and, and, um, you know, just love to throw the ball. A lot of people say the worst thing to happen in my career was, was, uh, you know, being drafted and going to green Bay where that, you know, playing in the frozen tundra of the North and that very predictable, you know, uh, you know, running game uh, and only, only pass on occasion with green Bay, but, you know, with Vince Lombardi, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade those. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I was very fortunate, I think, to catch the, uh, the tail end of that great era of the sixties with that, with that Packer team. There's so many great individuals on that team, not just football players, a lot of them in the hall of fame, but just great men, great gentlemen. And, uh, you know, there's not too many people left. I was just counting. I was looking at the picture the other day and, uh, out of the 40, three guys we had on that team. I think there's 20 of us still alive and three or four of us aren't doing that well. You know, uh, it's just amazing that, uh, you know, how, how time changes, but <clears throat> for the longest time, for about nine or 10 years, uh, it, it was kind of a, a trivia question. Uh, somebody came up with, 
from like like from sixty, I don't know, sixty seven, sixty eight, uh, you know, mid seventies or something. It said name the last two quarterbacks to throw throw over four hundred yards in an NFL game, and it was uh, Joe Namath and Don Horn. Hey. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, but back then, you know, I mean, Green Bay didn't throw the ball mm-hmm. <clears throat> that much, and uh, you know, I had I had one game where just everything just lit up. Of course, again, you have there's other games when you know you can't even hit the as Lombardi said, you couldn't hit a you know the bullet in the ass with a handful of peas, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just a you know this was something. I mean, <clears throat> you know, and he would he you know. I, uh, one of my old teammates, God rest his soul, Henry Jordan, used to say, you know, he treated everybody equally like dogs. And, uh, <laughs> I remember. And, I, I, and, and yeah, he'd chew everybody out. He, I mean, Vince would take you in private, build you up where nobody could hear you. You know, yeah. Clinton, you know, he'd take you over there and say, you know, you guys could be the greatest, you know, da 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 or whatever. And just, you know, just you make you real, you know, just really give you confidence. And then 10 minutes later, you know, he'd be out there in the field and, I mean, all of a sudden, you'd hear this, you know, and you know, start yelling, and screaming at you, like, you know, you know, you know, you know, damn it, Donald, you know, and so help me if I see that San Diego surfer shuffle one more time, get the next bus back to the beach, and wait a minute, I'm the same guy you just told over there, you know, and you know, we're sitting in a, I remember I was a rookie, I'm sitting in a, we're sitting in a. you know, you know, meeting, you know, back in the old days, we had the, you know, the dark room, the 16 millimeter camera, and middle of the room and running film. And Vince always had a knack to run a film. If it made a mistake, he'd run it back three or four times and call you out and embarrass you in front of your teammates. And uh, he ran this play back and it was Kramer was blocking, I think, Alex Karras and Alex kind of ate his lunch that day. And, and, um, and finally he said, 64, is that chance? And he call, usually he'd call you out by your number first. You know, 64, yeah, is that you, Jerry? Yeah. Jerry, look at that. And he ran that film back and he said, Look at that. That's pathetic. He says, so help me, Jerry. I've seen stray dogs wander on the practice field that are better guards than you'll ever be. I'm going, holy smokes, this guy's all pro. He's talking to him that way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but he did that to everybody. Yeah. You know, he did it to everybody. He just, you know, just knock you down. And then, and then and he builds you back up. He just, he just had that ability to do that. It was amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. And you mentioned some of your best games coming against those Chicago Bears and Dick Buckus. So uh, with the times we're facing now, I got to ask this question. What's scarier to you, the coronavirus we're facing right now or lining up across from Dick Buckus staring back at you? Oh, tenfold. Buckus. Buckus. <laughs> Buckus. Yeah. I don't know. This coronavirus, I don't know. I, I, I'm not too concerned about it. I think it's, I don't know, but, you know, I, you know, it just... I'm just like just looking on the news today, man. We're we're two couple of steps away from martial law in this country. I'm afraid. Yeah, you know, that's what I've been seeing. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just amazing, you know the the reaction. It just it's just I cannot believe the reaction this thing's having or whatever. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, hopefully they get their hands around it or whatever. But uh, you know, I don't know anybody that has it myself personally. But you know, you never know. And I'm in I, I'm in the age group that should be concerned. I'm 75 years old. So. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, if anybody should be concerned, it's me, and I'm really not. So I guess I've had a lot of hard knocks over the years, and this isn't going to bother me that much. Well, <laughs> well um, <laughs> in, in recent times, we've learned that the CBA has passed um, uh, the motion that we're going to be moving to 17 regular season games and 14 playoff teams. Of course, 
uh, back in your day, you guys played 12 regular season games that went up to 16 uh, in later years. But how do you feel about that, uh, you know, going to 17 regular season games? Do you think it dilutes the product at all? And uh, just kind of tell us your thoughts on uh, how you feel like the game uh, has progressed today. Well, I mean, it's definitely a different game. You know, you know, t- you know, it's a multi-billion dollar business now, and that's all it is. You know, just a multi-billion dollar business. It's all showbiz, you know, from from the games and the hype, even the uh, even how they hype the uh, the draft, as we alluded to earlier. It's just, you know, the draft is like a week-long hype, and everything's just hyped up uh, tremendously. Uh, 17 games, uh, you know, back in the old days, you know, we, we actually, uh, when I came to the league, we went, they went from four, uh, 12 to 14 games. But we played six preseason games, which totaled 20 all year. Oh, wow. And we played six preseason games. We called them exhibition games. And they paid us fifty dollars a game, so we played six games for three hundred dollars. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> uh, back then, and then and then we played fourteen. You know now, so you know seventeen. Yeah, it, I think it dilutes it a little bit. I mean, it's diluted anyway to a to a point because it's up to thirty two teams now instead of uh, the twenty five back then. But um, again, it's a different game. It's just it, you know the you know the talent's so much better today, bigger and quicker and faster and. It's just it's just a, a total different game, and and uh, you know, I'm actually kind of glad they it passed because uh, you know as an old timer we're supposed to get a little bit more uh, benefits and that type of thing, you know, that for the old timers which they've kind of uh, forgot about over the years. And uh, yeah, it should have been happening all you know, along. Yeah, it's just you know the the way we've uh, you know, and, and there's so many you know, back in the old days, back in the you know, I mean, the old days. Listen to me, I mean, but. Uh, in the sixties, even in the fifties, I know guys that played, but you know, you know, you, you come out the field and, you know, these trainers and doctors would give you, you know, they call them salt pills a lot. And, you know, you don't know what they were, you know, they'd give you a red salt pill and a yellow salt pill and maybe a, you know, a gray salt pill. And, you know, and, and tell you, you know, you know, give you a little smelling salt, get back in the game and they'd shoot you up with whatever, you know, they kill the pain get you back in the game, you know, never, never given a, a thought about what would happen to you 10, 20, 30 years later in mm-hmm. your life. But, uh, uh, and there's a lot of guys I know that actually need, you know, they need help. I mean, I know guys that have, you know, their, um, issues with, uh, you know, with the CTE and stuff and, you know, they're mm-hmm. my age and younger and have been for years. And, you know, they've applied for assistance for the league and uh, most of them have been turned down. They say, well, well, the reason why is that they don't want to admit that it's caused by concussions or whatever, but then they exactly. tell these guys that played in the sixties. Well, back in the sixties, a lot of you guys abused your body with, uh, you know, steroids and some other, you know, outside oh, influences geez. and stuff, maybe alcohol and stuff. So we can't really justify that. Uh, you know, the reason why you have such uh, an issue is, uh, is be just because of football. It could be other reasons. So all the guys, money they make, come on. Yeah, I mean, just just throw a little chump change and stuff, and take care of these guys because a lot of them really need it, and, and it, it just it just ticks me off. That's why, you know, I'm involved with a couple of things. I'm on the uh, you know, the advisory board of Mike Ditka. Uh, yeah, God, I hate to say that, you old Chicago Bears, but love you. <laughs> 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 but I'm on I'm on his advisory board with the uh, you know, it, uh, it's called the Gridiron Grace. It was actually started yep. by uh, by uh, you know Jerry Kramer, my old teammate. And um, and you know Mike's taking it over, and uh, and some other ones called the uh, After Impact, uh, you know, where they assist not only uh, you know former athletes but uh, military veterans as well, you know, and just try to raise money and stuff. It's a five hundred one c three. 
to try to take care of these guys, you know, the league just kind of turns their back on and stuff. And so, you know, Mike's done a great job and, and, and raising funds and stuff, uh, you know, to, to help uh, players in dire, dire need for whatever it might be that the league just kind of says, well, tough, you know. So, so I do a lot of that now too, to try to give back a little bit to, uh, you know, some of the players I think that really, really need the help and assistance or whatever, whether they're chiefs, are there bears? <laughs> See, now you can't beat that, Don. That that is uh, w- wonderfully said, and so wonderful of you. And we can't thank you enough for you know being a part of the of the fabric of what makes this game great today. You know, Noah and I are we're we're in our thirties. We've just grown up with the history of this game. We're so entrenched in what made it is what it is today. You know, our parents, our dads were huge fans like back when back when you played and just to be able to go back with you and, and share some of these stories it literally means the world to us man we, and we can't thank you enough this is well, this is know, just you great you're very welcome you're very welcome you guys are just puppies in your 30s man heck you're just <laughs> you're just you're just you're just teed up man you're you just you just play the first three or four holes you would think so it took us our first 36 <laughs> years of life to get a super bowl here in kansas city so hopefully it's not another 36 and then, yeah. then, I, then we, uh, yeah <laughs> I, you know, I think you guys will be back and I hate to say it, but uh, you know, I think if the Broncos want to go to the Super Bowl anymore, at least for the foreseeable future, I think they've got to be like me. They've got to buy a ticket like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the quote right there, Don. That's the quote that's going to come out that we're going to use in the, on, the, on the Broncos' uh, Facebook pages for that one. That's going to be great. <laughs> Although, you know, they have our, they, we, we covered Drew Locke quite a bit uh, here at Mizzou. We're big fans of Drew Locke. We know him personally, so... It looks like they got yeah, some good. momentum with Drew. He's he's a he's a good kid for sure. Yeah, in fact, I uh, I'm scheduled if they still have it. I'm going back to that uh, that uh, CSA uh, signing big show in Chantilly, Virginia. Yeah, and uh, and then and uh, I've never met Drew, not yet, but um, you know, but the, he and I are supposed to be signing the same day. I think uh, that's Saturday, so um, I'll, I'll see him back there, and I want to. I definitely want to meet him and stuff like that. And if I do, I'll say hey. Clinton Noah said hello. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, his his dad owns a few restaurants here in the Kansas City area. Great family, and I think Denver is uh is lucky to have him. So yeah, you absolutely yeah, they, do tell him we said that, and he uh he's he's a great kid, and he had showed some real promise for the Broncos. So. Yeah, he does. To everybody here, me included, uh, really uh, they really like the kid. He's got a, you know, as a uh, as I used to say sometimes, I actually stole it from Charlie Brown and the old uh, the old comic strip. There's no heavier burden than a great potential. And that's what he's <laughs> I, got. It's a, big, yep. it's a big burden, but he's <laughs> but everybody's pulling for him here. They like him. They like that's him a great. lot. So. Uh, Don, yeah. I tell you what, it, uh, we can't thank you enough for, for coming on with us today, talking some football with us. This Doing stuff like this is, is what is going to help people like us get through these uh, these tough times because this is what we believe in. We love this game. We are still talking sports because that's what we know. So thank you so much for uh you're welcome. Great- You're very welcome. <laughs> Enjoyed it very much. And uh, thank you so much. And, uh, we will yeah, talk- you you guys you guys will be back uh, pretty quick. You guys you know you guys are you're going to get a few more rings. I think. Talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Thank Absolutely. you so much. It was an honor, Don. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. There you have it with Don Horn, Noah. He said unequivocally he's um, far more afraid of uh, staring down a Dick Budkiss in the defensive backfield than um, dealing with the coronavirus, even though he's right in that age bracket. He tells it like it is. He's a real man's man. And uh, Don Horn, you got my respect, my friend. Great stuff. 
Oh, absolutely. And just the praise he had for Patrick Mahomes was great to hear from uh, one great quarterback, especially back in that era and how the game has changed, but how he's able to recognize how the game has changed and what these players can do and how Patrick Mahomes is setting himself apart from even the greats of the game. He mentioned uh, the last person we saw be able to do what Mahomes is doing is Aaron Rodgers, and Mahomes is even taking that to a new, completely just uncharted territory, new level. And so... Uh, you're hearing from one of the greats of the game who laid the foundation and is the tradition uh, of the NFL and what this game is today and what he has to say and how great he thinks Patrick Mahomes is. So just an unbelievable outstanding interview. I'm glad we were able to do that. Going back, we do a lot of interviews from our era in uh, kind of the late 80s into the 90s and, and moving on, but it's great to go back to where football uh, kind of was born with Vince Lombardi and those Packers teams and the start of the Super Bowl era and Lamar Hunt and and uh, those great Chiefs teams and and uh, the foundation that was laid back in those days and be able to interview a guy like Don Horn and uh, be able to pick his brain about this great game of football. Moving forward, since we don't have March Madness or the NBA or golf or NASCAR or um, really anything uh, to talk about, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So moving forward, do you what? Is there anything that, as you look at free agencies, we looked at some of the big uh, pieces that's begin to maneuver. Anything else that that you maybe have pegged for a, you know a possibility, or as we look at the Chiefs, are kind of beginning to lose some parts. Uh, Kendall Fuller goes back to the Redskins. Emmanuel Ogba uh, goes to the Dolphins. Um, what can maybe Chiefs fans expect moving forward, and uh, any other big pieces that you feel like could uh, could be falling any minute here? Yeah, I mean, I definitely got to do something. We saw what uh, the Colts traded for DeForest Buckner, defensive tackle from the 49ers. They give up their uh, number one overall pick, uh, 13th pick um, in the first round. So they did that. And so you got to look at what Chris Jones could bring in. And you got to think it's got to be somewhere right around there, if not better. He's a better player than what DeForest Buckner has been to this point. And so you're hoping that the Chiefs can get back a high first round pick. I know he's been linked to the Lions. Can we get their first round pick? Uh, what is going to become of Sammy Watkins? We haven't heard a lot there. Uh, maybe we could fleece the Houston Texans. I know Sammy was tweeting about wanting to join New Hopkins and Deshaun Watson. Now it'll only be Deshaun Watson, but they can replace one lost Clemson receiver and replace him with another and Sammy Watkins. And uh, we feel like we could fleece them because obviously Bill O'Brien has no idea what he's doing at general manager. And Rashad Breeland hasn't landed yet. Could we steal him? Could we get him at a deal? Or is he still going to find a home for uh, something near what Kendall Fuller got at about $10 million a year? Uh, Mike Pinnell is a big key to me. He came in and really shored up this run defense. And we haven't heard what we're going to be able to do in that scenario. Uh, we have kind of locked up Chad Henney on a two-year deal. Um, we've brought back Damian Williams and Damian Wilson, the linebacker. Um, so just a few little ideas like that. And if we do lose Sammy Watkins, uh, what's going to become a wide receiver? We're going to go out and find somebody, a Des Bryant who worked out with Patrick Mahomes in the off season. And, uh, one just other note is that the Raiders are signing just anyone just randomly just calling up random free agents that they just scroll through their Rolodex, point their finger at, and just Jason Witten, 37 year old tight end, just geriatric tight end. They signed to a one-year deal. I don't understand. And just everyone else is just random players. It doesn't seem like they have a plan. They really know what they're trying to go for. They're trying to build a defense and offense. Like just random players. We're taking them. We're going to see what happens. We don't even know if football is going to be played in 2020. So why not just roll the dice on a bunch of random players?
Well, Noah, um, during these trying times, of course, we're trying to churn out some content, trying to keep people engaged in the world of sports with interviews and, and trying to kind of conjure up what we can and to try to, you know, create a much needed distraction for people. So what would you say has been your preferred task during um, during this time and why has it been WWE Network, WCW pay-per-views? I mean, just going back and being able to watch Nitros, let alone the pay-per-views. I mean, just some of this stuff, it's like you're watching Dexter and you get through the end of the show and you're like, God, I loved watching. I, I wish I could like erase my memory and go back and watch it again. And then several months, maybe a year go by and you're like, yeah, I, I, I know the just overarching plots, but I don't remember the fine details. And so I can go back and enjoy it again. And that's what I found with WCW Nitros. You know the overarching, yes, uh, Hogan faces Goldberg on a Nitro for the WCW Heavyweight title. The NWO comes in, and the, you rec you remember all these matches, but you don't remember the details, the small, minute things, just some of the little tag matches and the wrestlers that you like, like La Parca, rest his soul. But uh, in the Cruiserweight division, I was always a huge fan of, so I get to go back and relive that and watch his matches and and uh, just kind of laugh at the hilarity of horrible WCW pay-per-views, pay horrible booking, horrible matches. And then you go to Nitro and like, why are these so much better than pay-per-views when you're trying to get an audience to buy into a pay-per-view? And, and it just seemed like uh, WCW was more involved in winning the rating on Monday night to beat Vince McMahon than they were in making money in uh, building great pay-per-views, and that was obviously the downfall of the company. Well, we're going to be checking out WrestleMania here live from the WWE Performance Center, perhaps coming up, or maybe not. We'll see. Um, if you do like wrestling, we do a wrestling podcast. It's called The Main Event, and um, so check it out um, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you find podcasts. We uh, actually had former WCW ring announcer Gary Michael Capetta on this week, so check out that interview. We've got uh, interviews with Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, uh, Alex Wright, Lanny Poffo, Scotty Riggs, um, and Mark Marrow. So, you know what? If you're a fan of wrestling, head over and do that. What else do you have to do? Uh, go check it out. So, and in the case, of course, of the Elite Sports Podcast, we always appreciate your star ratings and uh, feedback. So, uh, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play, uh, Stitcher, or Spotify, any way you choose to take in the show. We hope you'll continue to do that. Our website, GASNsports.com. That's where all of our stuff is archived, podcasts, articles, interviews, and more. It's all there um, on GASN Sports. Go check it out. We need the AdSense money. Um, thanks so much for joining us here on the Elite Sports Podcast. Stay calm, stay safe, and hopefully we'll see you guys back next week.